0: Alright everybody, it is Drew from the Warrior Workout Network, thank y'all for listening With me as always is my co-host Sean Yo guys There it is, and with us, second
1: installment of the Brandon Lloyd episode How you doing today man? How you, lo- how you doing Lloyd? I'm absolutely wonderful man, as always Even here. You- had a crazy day yesterday and uh, what's turned out to be a crazier day today But still rocking and rolling dude
0: yeah, man, that's that thing about resilience and having that bone is just, uh, you know, no matter how tough it gets, you always just find yourself pushing
1: through it and being like, man, I thought I was tired after the last one, but here we go again. Yeah, sometimes I wanna, I wanna, uh, not be so resilient and just lose my shit sometimes, <laughs> just break something, throw something. Like this morning when I was out there, I I had Foster on me. Remember I told told yep. him yesterday? Oh yeah. Of course he did, and he's like, "I don't want to call and wake you up." Mostly oh, that was your job. us up at 30. Don't worry about re- Your job was to wake me up, and uh, but he sent me. He did text me. I, I got up. And I got in the Epsom salt bath because I knew if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to walk today. Mm. But then I got out of that and went straight outside. And I, I was clean. Man, I got more rush. I got a whole neighborhood worth of, of limbs. That I had, to, I drove some to the road, and the ones that were closer to the backyard, I had a big twenty by twenty tarp, and I would, I was putting all these big limbs on this tarp, and taking the ends, the you know the the uh, the metal, you know the round uh, metal reinforced rivets on the, the end of a tarp, yep. and, and hook hooking and a uh, D ring through it and a rope, and drag, just putting dragging it up on my it all, cr- yeah, all the way to the backyard. I mean just uh, golly that storm did a lot of damage man
0: yeah what was worse that or
1: 28 miles with 50 Absol- on your back yesterday what was worse a- actually that only because of the 28 miler <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, um yeah it was uh it was uh, that that 28 miler miler was cool and uh I definitely want to talk talk about that at the end of this episode, before we get off this episode, too. All right, dude. Well, listen, a big reason that we're
0: having you on and giving you all these episodes is because you do have your book that's coming out. We intended to talk about it in the first episode. We didn't really get around to it, man. We, you know, we have, with you and your story and what you've got going on, I mean, we, we would have to do an entire series on you.
1: Uh, so... That's it, probably true, but that's it, only because. Oh, wow, what's well, a good reason I can think of? Well, you're <laughs> that, gonna have. I'm a, ran- I'm a magnet for random bullshit. That's what I. That's what I used to say. Yeah, I'm just but a the- magnet for random shit to happen, and like most people, when things happen, like car wrecks, God, you would never, all the way until Saturday night, the the amount of wreck, a guy walking across with three o'clock in the morning literally i see a guy get hit on i10 going from my house into Pensacola the main strip I, a dude is in the air and i see a body flop <laughs> huh three o'clock in the morning on the interstate coming back from christie's house that kind of stuff and he was dead and he had one sock on that was it
0: every That's time not- every time
1: yeah. it loses- I, I did not want to deal with that situation i was like something is weird about this I thought he got hit, and it turned out my in my mind I think he was thrown out of that car.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't think
1: that car hit him, um just because of the situation. But I call I was on with nine one one, and I was like, "Yeah, cops is coming. I'm getting my back in my vehicle, and I'm going home. I'm not. That's... He's not. There's nothing I can do for this guy.
2: Wow. So But stuff
1: like that just ha- just happens. I keep a full medical aid bag in my truck all the time. That's what was most of the weight of my rucksack it was a medical medical bag i just i feel like it's always gonna be something man always ready for the perfect storm huh gotta be
0: i'll tell you the movie on your deathbed at least it's gonna be good
2: (laughs) yes as we get into this episode there's gonna be a lot of there's gonna be a lot of colors on the palette here man i think that um what we're going to be talking about is going to shed a lot of light on things that sometimes don't get talked about, Um, you know, feelings and viewpoints and and whatnot. And I think we're going to be bringing a, a um, really good perspective of what it's like as a combat medic um, to go through deployments and to do his job and you know, as we sit here with Sergeant First Class Lloyd, um, who went from a combat job to where you're trained to um, take lives, if necessary. Now, all of a sudden, you're giving
1: life. And there's a huge... And sometimes hit. at the same breath, sometimes at the same time, honestly. Yep. Shooting and literally going and saving the same guy that you just shot at. That's crazy. So that, that's my that's
2: my lead off question for you is what, what was, was it a hard transition going from infantry to medic and and the mindset that goes with it? I mean, I know that you, you've been, you know, you're still in combat situations as a medic and did what you had to do, but going from a, going from a job where it's I'm, I'm here to neutralize an enemy and I'm here to get the job done, do
1: or die to now it's do, do and live. No, it wasn't, but the only reason I think it wasn't, looking back on because I don't think I've ever thought of that, but the only reason it wasn't is because of what happened the day after I re-enlisted. It was September 11th. There was so much, else, so much other stuff going on, and now I was pissed. I, I don't think I was – I was questioning why I chose medic. Like, what the hell were you thinking? All the training you've been doing, all the blocks you checked – when you decided to join the Army, the things that you you want to get done, you've done them, and now you can't do them when it matters. And why medic? And I really didn't have an answer for that. There was no logical reason I chose medic except for the fact I knew I could not only be back in the same type of unit, but actually be in the platoon like I was as an infantry guy. That's the only job you can do that. And so I had a lot of there, a lot of thought went into it. But still, when the shit hit the fan the next day, I was not happy about the decision I made until I got to Fort Sam and found out that the dudes that um, had went, their helicopter got shot down. And I would have been with them. You know, that, so that, that really quickly told me, all right, so there's whatever you believe, in my mind, that was a divine intervention type moment that said, hey, you're here for a reason there's a reason things are, have worked the way they they have so it you know if, if nothing's got your attention before now now let that take your focus and, and put it into what what you're at fort saying to do which is to be a medic and and i did and that's all i focused on and then all i wanted to do was get to the battlefield and be a medic but even then i still didn't know what i was what i was wishing for i mean what is- what philosophically metaphorically
2: what rucksacks have you are the one of an infantry infantryman or one of a combat medic Ooh.
1: what both really because it, it, this is a way to look at it man you come out with something dang these are questions i've never been asked i'm good i'm glad i'm on the i'm good on the spot the as as a medical guy i would probably think after every scenario unless you're just a Rockhead idiot that likes to do bad things. When you come out of a situation, you know that you did that for a good reason. Your purpose was to save a life, whether it happened or not, or whether the person died, you know, you can come away saying I at least tried to save a life as an infantry dude. You don't, you might, there might be a time where you actually get to try to save somebody's life. I'm not saying it don't happen, but your, your intent is to take a life in in most situations so that's a whole another type of trauma when you start dealing with the the moral and uh moral issues that people have with stuff like that that oh, yeah. you know that don't come until that's one of those things you don't prepare for you don't know to prepare for you don't know that it's going to bother you to shoot somebody that's trying to kill you so it's just, you just can't prepare for that as an infantry and what's going to do to you down the road so i would both say they're they're both tough but an infantryman i guess in a lot of ways would could be hard because there's not a lot of light to shed on dark moments at times other than the greater good you know you're doing it for you are doing it for a good purpose but still is, is taking somebody's life man is a decision that anybody that runs around talking about it like it's fun is very very disconnected from reality Correct. or just yeah. full of shit that's yep. what i
0: fucking that's i don't mean I, i'm trying to watch my language but like that's that's one thing that always got me especially about like certain people like certain ncos that are like oh it's been like you know like 160 days since i shot someone or killed someone's like what are you what kind of person
1: yeah who do what
0: who are you like like are you serious? Like that's, that's what gets you off.
1: Like some guys try to do it to motivate dudes that, uh, but it's never necessary. It's never the right way to do it. The right. I mean, and I'm not saying I know the right way to do everything. I just know that it's, I always got more out of just looking at my dudes and saying, look, I struggled with this. This is how I did it. A pro, it's not going to be easy, but that's what you have to do. If you don't kill him, he's going to kill you. If yeah. it's fun, let me know. <laughs> we'll find. We'll find. We'll go. Look, get you a job next to Foster. <laughs> let you do the mess one. <laughs> if you like, if you like it too much, you come tell me. Well, I mean that's
0: just- the good nature it's a weird mix too because um your design like the that's what the reflexive fire is taught to you know like hey only shoot at the yellow triangle only shoot at the blue square only shoot at the red circle you don't see it on fire you get so you get so good at that go do the shoot house all right go now you're shooting balloons only shoot the balloons now. only shoot the white balloons only shoot you are so trained to just like oh target
1: pop done to like, not think about anything to not uh, emotionally connect to, you're all.
0: supposed to emotionally disconnect so the idea of like and, and i mean obviously in the moment,
1: though. that only works in that moment <laughs> it, and, it, and it does it 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 does it and its unbelievable to work in that moment to get you you so you live through it and you kill the bad guy it's after that moment I think
0: actually what's most astounding is that we've had instances where we've had the opportunity where we could have popped up, taken like taken lives and been like, yep, we're good. But rather instead, we're able to quick look up, play the situation, notice like, okay, we don't need to shoot here, not shoot, completely abandon like any idea, mitigate any sort of external, like larger confrontation and so like yeah. i think that's always been like a, like a larger tell of better training and better moral people and better moral soul absolutely
1: at the end of the day we got an american flag on our arm and that's who we represent yeah man. and we're not yeah. in iraq or afghanistan to kill everybody we're there to rebuild a country rebuild of it. good people and protect yeah the people and so we, we like
0: threatened by people that are coming in and taking their shit and exactly so the
1: best thing for best case scenario for us is for us to leave there and them Appreciate us, yeah. Appreciate so, the work when you, when you do everything to 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 counteract that. It just never never makes sense to me. But dudes get caught up in the moment. I get it. Yeah. Um.
0: It's it's easy to, but I mean, I, you shouldn't. I don't. I don't know. There's. I don't know, man. There's a. um what, what's it called when you when you beautify something and you draw like you make it like you romanticize it romanticize yeah. Roma- like people romanticize it and like i no offense i don't remember a single time feeling cathartic in a moment like that i remember feeling nervous scared and like do i do i do this or do i not like and, and confused yeah like
1: but i say that's what like. most people do but but to avoid that that's when they start turning it into romanticism they go from that and that's such a, a horrible feeling at times they, they try to spin it so they can deal with it in better ways. And that's where the romanticizing comes in. They sh- they try to make, try you know, tell their brain something a little bit different, try to look at it a little bit differently. So the next time it happens, they don't have the, the after effects that, that low, man, I can't I just took somebody's life. They don't have that, you know, they, they, and over time and it does, I mean, it, you retrain your brain. That's exactly what you do.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, every phase of your life, you're retraining your brain. This is just a very intense version of it.
1: It, it. People, you just don't, people don't, what a lot of people need to realize and what I've realized is that you have a lot more control over that than than you think and you're doing it when you don't think about it. So you, you just, you can retrain your brain in great ways as long as you conscious, if you consciously make decisions, consciously do things, think about them before you do it. And instead of using that instinct that worked on the battlefield all the time, because that's, I mean, that's what leads to the suicides, man. They come back and they get stuck in that. And, they, and it, you know, it, it's extremely sad. I, I saw a post today from a buddy of mine, uh, and this will kind of get us started on, on everything. Uh, his name I'll just say his last name Jackson it was in five it was around this time because he it was a memory or something, and one of my buddies put it on it was just yesterday I think yesterday morning kind of uh posted the screenshot of this thread or maybe he shared the mem- the memory or whatever because it popped up like they do on Facebook, but it was him reaching out to all of us saying, hey, my wife just committed suicide his wife and this was 2015 and he was saying look re find somebody because he was still reaching out to his buddies knowing they were going through that because he was beating himself up because he didn't recognize it in his wife um so i mean the whole first thing was look if you're getting to us get to a point reach out find a buddy blah 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 he's saying all these things less than a year later he did the same thing yeah, heartbreaking so when you go back and read all the stuff that he was saying he caught he was thinking the right things but in trying to tell him and and looking at it now i can say he would he was probably feeling the opposite of what he was saying he was feeling like doing it right then he was just trying to tell himself you know a cry for help in a way um and saying do, reach out find dudes whatever whatever um so he was hoping that he would do that himself if it come down to it and it turned out that he didn't um so that that was uh, that that was pretty heartbreaking uh, yesterday and matter of fact that's right right when i get, that's the first thing that i saw when i got on facebook before i posted that that thing and i was like wow I'm, i mean it and it, that too made me look at that walk i had just done i still barely could feel my legs It made me look at what i would just done in a whole different perspective. Like, cause that's who I did that. That's the fall into. Oh
0: I mean, yeah, dude. It, they're not. They're
1: it's cause they didn't do it 6,000 miles away. I mean, they're still, it's a direct, it's directly related to, to that. So as, as we, as we
2: start this episode, this part of the episode, you know, chapter one sentence one, where are you, what's going on? And where are you and what's going on? man?
1: Um, and a lot of the things that I'm, that I'll talk about in this, this one story in particular, I remember is something that I think about a lot. I have, I have, uh, shed new light on it with this book all the things that me and the co-author are going through and the the research I'm doing and the people I'm reaching out to, and like I did with you, getting different perspectives and, and all that stuff, um, has, have made me view a lot of the things that happened in that first year in different ways, just because you can never look at anything other than from your point of view. So you only have your viewpoint. And honestly, if you really think about it, that's, that's almost a sad way to go through life is to only think about, look at, or believe your viewpoint. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's so much better for your mind and for uh, just to gain knowledge to listen to other people's point of view. Even if the dude was the one right next to you in that firefight, he saw it different than you did. So you can learn something from that about how your brain works. Um, and those little things, that was the way that I... I I helped myself was to take little thing, trying to learn something I'm like, damn, it blew me away that you live, you can be in a firefight, literally two guys and you have them write down their experience afterwards. And it'll be the same thing, but they'll be, it'll be different. They, they, they view that firefight completely different. So little things like that, it just amazed me. Um, and it, it made me want to, uh, it made me realize how, and this was all during this time too, like I'm seeing how guys uh, through the first year of the war were, were handling situations like we were talking about earlier, violently when they didn't need to, or too calm when they needed to be violent. What led them to do that? Like, have they been doing that the whole time? That's how I kept my mind uh, focused on, bettering and helping myself in the moment as a medic, because you're not working on dudes all the time. You might go three or four days and not even have to fix a dude's ingrown toenail, but then you might go 24 hours straight and have to work on more casualties than you ever have in your life combined. So that was a way, a way for me to, to kind of use my brain and think about things to keep it, keep it working it, to work it out so it didn't so it didn't get stuck on the same the same track it was on because as a former infantry guy now i'm a medic back with these dudes it was easy for me to trans transform back into that infantry guy they had me on a machine gun in the back of a gun truck with no doors on it come on you think i'm thinking about where's my a bag no nah. i'm thinking about where's the bad guy I got a 50 cal dude come up I mean why is the bad dude always got to come out when you're on the gun you know I want that dude walking out when I'm out there I'm not thinking about medical stuff so it was easy for me to get stuck into that for. And so I had to remind myself all the time dude you need to pull out that little medical <laughs> manual and and start reading because you don't always give IVs but that's the very it's one of the most important things when dudes are bleeding so you have to you got to refresh yourself. So that that's the way I, leading to this night that we're talking about in September. That's the reason I think looking back on it. I was able to handle it the way I did only because I didn't allow myself to become complacent. Um, And it was not because I was better than anybody stronger, smarter, none of that. I didn't. I was just following the the dudes that were around me and watching the way they were doing things and i had to have great leadership in my life and my career um so like i said before i just shut up listen and emulate and that's what i did and it led me to to doing things the way that i did it wasn't because of me um so september we're getting done with an operation and we we were in to iraq um of course our main goal and our only job in life was to find saddam So we were four or five different operations a day sometimes. Uh, I mean, finding guys that look more like him than he did. (laughs) You'd find the one that's like the picture you showed me that coin, like the 1982 Saddam. Like we would find, and I'm like, dude, why would he give you that? Why would he give you that look? He has not looked that way since he shook Donald Rumsfeld's hand back in 1983. Why would he, surely he knows that Americans know that people age so like he gave you this million dollar surgery to look like him for nothing because you ain't fooling nobody but it it was one of those crazy things that we we looked for the dude so much and so long it was uh we almost expected it that we either missed him or it was going to be another impot or whatever the case was when we when we went on these operations because that's really all we did we did other stuff but which we could
0: do an episode solely on the life of an imposter, because how
1: insane would that be? And I don't mean to break it.
0: Keep on, with it, but just. just I, I I like
1: where you're going with that, though. Just
0: think about the psychology behind being. An
1: yeah, see, that's what that's what gets me going.
0: The life, but go, let's keep on.
1: So this, we were getting done with an operation, and we were heading back. And these dudes that I was with, I'd been with them a while, and they were getting ready to swap out with another. Uh, squadron one of the the other hit squadrons and so i was kind of going through some emotional stuff knowing i was fixing to lose all these dudes i've been with for a while and this next group of guys comes in they might not need or want me and they're going to throw me back down to the (laughs) the conventional army and you know i'd learned so much i mean i had fell into my place and i was one of them it was unbelievable so that's kind of what what mindset I was in that night you know two in the morning heading back to one of these little uh places where we lived we're going across this uh actually we're going down this little road about to turn onto one of those engineer bridges that the you know the oh, yeah. ones that the engineers put across the water they're late floating which has still to this day scare me to death because it just don't seem like it should happen an LMTV should not be able to drive across a raft. A pontoon bridge. <laughs> yeah, just,
0: and they've been using those.
1: for always hundreds of years. Out. Like they've
0: been. on the pontoon it bridge. Awesome. It's been a thing yeah. for hundreds of years. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, that, it just it's like a Chinook. It's just almost built not to work, but it actually works better than any of the other ones.
0: Well, it's it's I think it's one of the oldest pieces of equipment in our arsenal in history. Yeah,
1: so. we talking about the, the Chinook. The pontoon the bridge. bridge, the pontoon Oh yeah, bridges. the bridge, yeah. yeah. I think you were using you know, Vin- those
0: in the Civil War.
1: I think Da Vinci is the one who created the first one, the first uh, sketch for one. But anyway, so that's where my mind was that night, was was on my problems and what I was going to be dealing with the next few months. And it's also two in the morning, I'm standing on a machine gun in the back and we go, we're going down to turn on this bridge and off in the distance, this road, that goes if you were to look at a map. I wish I could I've got one here, but I ain't gonna worry about showing you. It's on it's southeast down this road and it kind of it goes um that bridge, the in fact that bridge is laid across a little uh part of the Tigris River, a little outlet part. And so this this there's a big bridge. This bridge is right next to it. That's the Tigris River. The Fourth Infantry Division big gigantic palace was up on this hill right there on the river. That's where the, the uh, exam and all that stuff took place. Well, there's a road that goes straight down, um, toward al which is actually Saddam's, uh, close his hometown is to Krip, but you know how it's all broke up in little mm-hmm. tribal areas. Yeah. So this road is straight. Now I had only been down this road once or twice during the day, when you can see how long and straight this kind of I've never been out west and saw you but I've seen it on TV like the Arizona the roads that are just forever and you just got to pray you don't run out of gas and oh, you can yeah. see from for you know tens of miles in front of you that's how this was but at nighttime with no headlights on the sky is so dark in a distance I saw it I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. I, I knew instantly what it was, but it was so extreme that my mind jumped completely past that into like fireworks. Like, well, this is a 4th of July show, like what day is it? It, it was so, and, and I also knew because I saw all this before I heard anything, I immediately registered, that's a long way away but it's still big, you know, it should, if it's that far away that I can't hear it yet, it should look a lot smaller unless it is horribly awful.
2: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: so these things are running through my head, whatever that is, I don't want to go that way because there's about nine of us and two trucks. But, and by the time I even get a a point to where I'm like, hey, something's blowing up right there they're already moving the trucks already going in that direction we had to get back up on the road where that the real bridge was that it got blown out and get on that road and just haul ass they hit the headlights and i'm standing on this gun looking down and at this point now uh looking straight down at it i that's when i know when i saw that first trace around i saw what was happening in front of me um i knew i was I, was kind of watching the battle play out just through lights and explosions. But I I knew exactly what they were. I'd seen enough RPGs blow up. I seen, and not just that, I seen what they looked like when they hit the side of a vehicle. I saw what they looked like when they blew up because it was a dud. So I could tell like that RPG is impacting with the side of something. And all this is playing out in front of me and I'm just thinking, it's this time, this this was about a month after the IED started. Um, we were still learning what they were. We knew what they were, but we we're still learning how to defeat them, what their tactics are as far as what they're putting them in, where they're putting them, what truck in the, the order of march are they hitting, who are they targeting, do they know, you know, the, the command, whoever's in charge sits in the right seat. Do they, you know, that's the point we were at, trying to see what they knew, and if they were targeting specific people, so, um, and I remember thinking, "This is not an IED. Like, I'm we're going into a firefight right now." So I almost kind of felt more comfortable about that. Um, sure. So, and and it, before I knew it, it seems like we were there. But I do also remember thinking, "My God, we're going a long way." So that also made me think that this is going to be nasty. Of course the the by the time we got a mile from it the explosions had stopped but i mean i just kept telling myself this is not going to be pretty whatever the hell it is and so when we pulled up on the scene there's there's still tracer rounds going all over the place i did start noticing and listening to the the guys that i was the other two guys in the truck talking back and forth um i i had my bearings even though i had only been to that part that area, I think twice before. I knew it was a traffic circle. I knew it went down to where the field artillery dudes were. I kind of, once, once we slowed down and I realized, okay, now, now I'm there. I've got my bearings, but right when, immediately when I got my bearings, it was time to get out of the truck. So everything, that was the way my brain was working. Thank God. It's not because I was making it do that. It was working itself through this process the right way. Um, so, I was never behind. I was never a step behind. I, my brain kept itself a step ahead of the situation. So, I was prepared for the next move before I had to make it. So, we get there and I grabbed my aid bag and I just hollered at us. I said, Hey, that's what I could see that there was one truck. It right pulled into this traffic circle. Literally, still like if there would have been a stop sign there, he was stopped at the stop sign. His, his, other two trucks in the convoy had went got to the stop that stop sign, that hypothetical stop sign, took a right, and then that first right of the traffic circle. You know, if there's four, there's four inlets on the circle, instead of going around it, they were just taking a, a right, you know. Yeah. And so there are other two trucks, they were keeping distance to its nighttime, so they're a little bit closer, but they also had MBGs and it was they were in blackout lights they couldn't really tell how far they were away from. So, they so were, you know, got, there was a, a blackout. You got, you uh,
0: got it, they were, they, blackout. That's they crazy. were
1: under, but they were under blackout and you'll, you'll hear why in a second. Um, but because of that, there was, instead of the 50 meters you normally want between vehicles at night, it was more a hundred, 150 probably, especially when they got there because the truck is stopped waiting on this dude to get down the road a little bit before he goes so you know it's that that chain effect so there was some distance between the vehicles was my point and they had kind of made their way way down the road well when they get remember we don't have doors on our vehicles either they actually had doors but it was the the soft shell skin ones yeah yeah. Um, 14s yeah so they get to the the uh traffic circle the last vehicle's got three dudes in it and i see it as we get there and i can smell it i mean it's it's not on fire, but the gunner is still actively firing to as I'm looking to my left, which was back to the, towards the north. He's firing and he is unloading. What I would come to find out, this is his second drum too. He had already unloaded one drum and changed it out and was on his second drum of ammo. But I could see that when I jumped off the back of the truck, he's shooting, I see he's shooting over, there was dude, it was dudes in a ditch, literally a, a drop, just like think route corn, not that deep, but that steep mm. off the side of the road. And literally when they got to that traffic circle, they waited on that last vehicle. And when their vehicle stopped, oh, however many it was, eight or 10 of them jumped up and they're literally less than 10 feet from them. God. And they unloaded with two, like, I think the two, two or three RPGs and an unbelievable hell of gunfire right off the bat. So it really and truly these guys never had a chance. That's
0: the last they, vehicle. Yeah, you but saw they the I mean, you are right there, dude. You, I,
1: you think there? when I look back on it and think of the time by by the time our tr- truck rolled up was was minutes, I mean 3 3 to 5 minutes, however long, you know I couldn't I wouldn't ever be able to actually think of how long it was, but in my mind I think 3 to 5 minutes is what it took to get there. And he's still finishing off a drum of ammo. So for that long, he was able to maintain in that in that gun turret with all these dudes uh, just unleashing the wrath of God on him. And the what he couldn't see, what I saw from my vantage point, only because of the way I got out of the back of the truck, and because of how they pulled these these dudes pulled that truck in there. Um, And remember, we got an L going on too, we're kind of broke contact because the other two trucks are ahead, trying to figure out how to maneuver, but then they get hit from their side of the road, not by a massive amount of fire, but one or two guys that in their mind, it was probably, you know, it could have been 50 guys, which I think that was the tactic. I think they said, don't put, you don't have to put a lot of guys over there because they're going to think it's the same amount. They're, you know, they're going to focus their energy over there because they are over there already. Um,
0: Complex so they're
1: going. They were in a horrible situation, and with I think uh, there was an E six. The bad thing was the squad leader was in the truck that I was coming to. Um, so the second in charge. That's why you teach your guys to do your job because the second second guy in charge, E five was a newly probably hadn't been in E five that long was now running the show um and that's an awful situation to be in but yeah. it's a fact of life in that situation so you have to prepare for it and i think he i think he did um it, it it's just this man I, i'm i'm glad i wasn't in his shoes at that time that's all i can say but luckily because they were engaged over there they did stay on that part of the road, they kind of pulled their trucks out and maintained their defensive position, especially when they seen us roll up. They knew we had the backside because I think what they were trying to do is roll one vehicle back behind the disabled vehicle to just to kind of secure it. Um, but when they saw us there, they didn't have to do that and it let them focus over there and then we could focus where we were. And I, we also had a truck with us that had damn dragons. About seventeen AT (laughs) fours, and they loved blowing shit up. So when when that guy got to going, he was he was a uh, was he E seven or E (laughs) eight? This he was one of the baddest. I don't think I ever heard him say a word, but he was one of the baddest dudes on the earth, man. He got there. He was just like, "Yep, it's my time to play." He's got more ammunition. Shit Pasco. in the back, of this Humvee just mine, and he's just like, finally. Remember Pasco? Finally. Yeah. Pas- so Pasco. I run up to the, these, I did realize the the guys that were on the side of the road, I didn't know how many it was at the time, were, they were, they were, he had killed them, but when he was firing, he was firing over the top of them because of the ditch they were in. Um, And I remember thinking, damn, he is he he must be at an angle where he can't angle his machine gun down at that. You know, he can't get it to that angle. It's just he's getting it as low as he can. And unless they move the truck, these dudes are just kind of getting their body down to the ground and it's going over their backs. Um, But but I get to the truck and right as I get to the truck, it's it's the the uh, the gunfire stopped. And so, so I went to work and instead I won't go into any graphic detail right now but um, that's when it hit me when I got to that door that driver door I said this is this is not you have not been in a situation like this yet and then it hit me that I'm as far as I know I didn't know if there was another medic or not I knew with my crew I was that was it and come was pretty sure that for these guys, I was it too, because they were not on a patrol. They were, they had went out and did a fire mission and were just on their way back to get some sleep. Like they weren't even going super far. So, you know, they, they were not, they were in their territory, places somewhere they drove every single day. So, and it's not, the, and I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying they got complacent or anything like that. It was just one of those things that the, the bad guys watched them and and even though they probably they didn't do it at the same time eventually they they had to come that way it, they didn't have a choice so um I, I realized then especially when i started hearing all the other dudes holler for medic when i got to the other side of the truck and started That's looking a at the t- fucking t- bone chilling sound too is not yeah. it yeah well i got to the tc side and that's when I could hear the guys from those other two vehicles. They had pulled one back a little bit closer. Um, they were still shooting. Nobody was shooting back though, and they eventually stopped. They were just kind of, I think, kind of reconted by fire by that point to see if there was anybody out there left. Um, so they thought they were at a point where somebody could try to find a medic. And I started hearing some, hearing them holler, "Dude, where do we got? Is there anybody? Whatever they were saying." um and of course i didn't stop what i was doing and run to them i just registered it in my head and said okay um hopefully they're not as bad as what i'm looking at right here you know and this this whole thing took you know a minute minute and a half or whatever and there was no doubt in my mind that what i was going without the situation that i was in unless it changed drastically and a whole lot of people showed up i was uh, about to have to work more and probably face more than i'd ever had in my career which i can luckily say that my career as a medic at that point had only been a short time um but i knew it was different you know i knew it was definitely the exception and not the rule so but i I managed and in a very brief time it, it didn't take long i had the situation where it needed to be and we were taking the truck that I come in on and turned around back then it was a command Humvee. And you know, with the, the mounted gun, uh, the thing in the bed that's mounted to the bed in the back that, where you stand up on it. Oh, so yeah. the back of a, you know, a command Humvee's the back smaller than a regular cargo Humvee too. Cause it's got like the, you know, the, the sides that you sit on and, um, yeah, then the, the... the guns in the middle. So it even takes more room. And so we're literally, it ended up being, I want to say, I, I was gonna look through this book to get the exact number, but I don't even think that's completely uh, accurate. I wanna say it was 11 dudes total that were severely wounded. Like none of them were just, now they were walking wounded, but they were walking wounded because I needed them to be. Not, you know, not because you know any other situation I had been in, they would not have been walking wounded. Um, but that night they were. So uh, in every one of them, the the least hurt guy was was bad. And when you you get to a position where you have to say, I only have this much, I only have so much medical gear. I've got a bag and stuff on me. Literally, you you have to make a choice on who do I work on? Like you, you want to work on the worst off, of course, you can't always do that. You you have to work on the ones that you know without a doubt. And and this is all where your training comes in because you can't think of sit and look look it up in a book at that moment and decide which between these two who has the better chance of living, you know, who has a vet better survivability. Uh you just have to to know and make the decision to, you know, with with what I have, these wounds, even though they might be worse, the wounds might be worse, but you know he's he's got a better chance at living through this than this guy. So, you know we'll come back and work on this guy, or I say we. I'll come back and work on this guy if I have stuff left at the end. You know, it, that was something I did, absolutely could not register in my head at that time. I just did it. I, I was prepared for it, and I did. I did it. You know, all the looking back on it, come up and still to this day i look back on it and think god that's something that that's every medic's worst nightmare has been in a situation where you have to make that decision but it's a very small percentage of medics that are ever in that position um and i I would not wish it on anybody so uh we get them in the we load them in the truck and, and even that was is something that sticks. Actually, that's one of the top three things that sticks out in my mind is the way we had to throw these guys on the back of a command. This command on was literally stacking them on top of each other. And I had to between with the gun there, with that, the pole, the gun was mounted on. I had to put three of them. I had made the other dudes put themselves in other vehicles. I I was only taking these three guys on this truck from that vehicle that we, that I pulled them out of. Um, and I had to lay them on top of each other in a way to where while we're going 90 miles an hour down this dark long road, I'm gonna to have to stand up in the back of this hum- command Humvee and hold on to this gun and keep and check their, their pulse and shift them. If I'm compressing something because of what their injuries were, you, there were certain things I couldn't put on top of each other. I, I had to have certain things exposed and it's, I, I, it's kind of amazing to me looking back on it, at the decisions that I made in the moment that were not because I thought about it. It was because it was, it was stuck in there from all, all the torture I'd put myself through training and, and, and preparing to be in that moment. So we, we haul ass, we get back to the aid station and then that was my first ever experience of working in an aid station um my good buddies were were on the treatment team and i knew them so you know they were always looking at me like getting out there with this this unit and these guys like i would come back and they're like who are you like you're a different guy lloyd like who do you think i'm like don't call me lloyd no more my name ain't lloyd (laughs) no it's whatever these dudes they're calling me some (laughs) what they were probably calling me like tiny dancer or some silly shit but (laughs) Like and man, what was my call sign for so long? in one six one was Hellraiser one, and I, that's my favorite call sign of all time. But they had a pretty cool one. It was like, how oh, fuck? What was it? It was a killer, killer call sign though. Instead of like a a medical medical one, and that that's like my new identity. That was like my alter ego. So I was the most self conscious and self aware at the same time do when I was out with them, but when I come back around my dudes, now that I've been with these guys for so long, which I already had a tab, I already had way more training and not, than these guys had. These are young medical dudes, and they knew that, so I didn't have to ever pull, put some tough guy shit on. I just, I, I liked fucking with them, I guess, because I would get back and be like, you yeah, know, let's get to work. I gotta get back out on the streets. I gotta go back and do my job. <laughs> We'll see you later after all these black ops I'm going to do. <laughs> Just, I, it's like I was rubbing it in because I was in a – it's not like I got chose over them. <laughs> I was picked to get to go with these guys for a certain reason. They, they would have never went. But <laughs> that's that's a funny part of how I – of that time as a medic. I, I was – I played both sides of the fence big time. So – but I get – we get back and we, we literally – I always, in situations like that, and like I was saying about when I was wounded, think about the radio call. What are these guys expecting? Normally they're expecting way worse than what's really going on. Like with me, they're, they, they're, they were told I didn't have a pulse and I was uh, unresponsive. That's dead, in other words, literally. No pulse, unresponsive, that means you a dead man. So that's what the aid station had heard while you were driving me back. That's what they were expecting. That's why I was in the mood I was in trying to be calm and let them know I'm, I'm just chilling, man. I'm good. I'm not dead. Unless I am. And I just slowed my heart rate down to keep everybody else calm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I think that's the kind of, that's the kind of mentality I had. So we, we it was fucking weird. I've never seen that before. never see this. This time, I wanted it to be different. I remember thinking, I hope these motherfuckers know what's coming. You know, I hope they're not sitting there thinking, okay, well, they reported this. So this is what we need to expect. You know, the way they report it, we need to have everybody out there ready. But really, we probably only need three guys. That's how it would normally work, you know. But I was hoping, God, I hope they have got everybody out there. We don't have any time to waste at all. So, I, and it was one of those things, like every corner we went around, I'm trying to wait and just till I can see that little strip where I knew the, the medics were gonna be waiting. Safe handle. Uh, the sad thing was that's where all the uh, Reuters, Associated Press, all the news crews are right there living outside of the aid station. Um, and it was ridiculous how many it was, 25 or 30 of them on cots with big ass $30,000 cameras, um, and they were not scared to get get in front of you and run backwards while they're filming you dragging your buddies in. Um, so as we pulled up, we turned we turned the truck around and back it in, and all of them were out there ready. And I, while we're backing up, I'm telling you, hey, dude, you get over here, you get over here. These guys just kind of directing, telling people which truck to go to, so no time was wasted. Because I knew who had. There's only two beds inside of the aid station. We pulled a third in there for this situation. But typically, operationally, there's there's enough room for for two to, two guys to get that level of treatment, and only enough people to give that level of treatment until you have a scenario like this where guys like me were doing stuff way above their what they had been trained to do at that at that time. So. Um, I knew who had to come in, so it, it all really, looking back, it really worked. Very fluid and very, uh, I mean, it worked perfectly. Everybody listened to me. You know, it, it was they. I'm surely they could. They knew what I was doing, and their job in life is to save whoever I'm bringing and t- bringing to them anyway. Um, but it was never a question. I didn't have a PA or the profus doc saying no, 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 none of that shit. Like I said, these three dudes on this truck are the ones that need to come into aid station, leave the other guys outside, treat them outside. Cause we had the big meal vans with all the medical, uh, resupply stuff. So I just said, treat them out here by that and use the stuff out of the resupply vans. Don't let them dudes come in this aid station and see their buddies. And that looking back, I don't know why that, that was something that consciously I didn't think about doing, but it, you know, it, um it needed to be done and looking back on it, it it worked out really really good but so we get them in there we go we go to work and we worked for a long time until um the pa had or the between the doc and the pa that all three of them were gone um i i don't know how long that was i know that um there was enough blood covering the floor that literally you had to hold something everywhere you walked because it it was like you had roller skates on oh yeah um and i'd never seen that to to, i don't think i ever saw it maybe once uh but a lot more people Uh, i never saw it like that um so it it was bad uh and the the i'm kind of i'm kind of getting choked up but not really that this this is not the super hard part to talk about which none of it is actually hard to talk about it's just uh, what I look looking back on the moments after that, after they were called, we're still keeping. You know how y'all been in an aid station or something when shit gets crazy. Like after the the gym got hit on Rustamaya, the first sergeants, the commanders, the chaplain, everybody wants to be in the way. Everybody wants to be in that aid station. They. They have a purpose in a lot of ways. They just always try to do it too soon and they end up being in the way. You know, the, it's always the first, our first aren't commanders always there, you know, and you got to run them over. Just boom, get the. You got to get the hell out of the way. If you're going to be in this aid station while we're working, you got to stand against the wall or, or you're going to, you know, you never will never come back in here. Um, so looking back on it though, what I could have never. I guess the. I'll go ahead and, f- and finish it out, and I'll kind of come back to this. I just want to make sure I make this point. What happened after that was this. This turned out to be a night that was awful. Not just there for us though. Um, everywhere there was at that time. That might have been what kicked it off, but all over our battle space, dudes were under fire. It was bad. Um, we. Had, while we had these guys we already had to tell one crew that we we're, were uh bringing a guy like an mp i think to the aid station they had to, you know of course they checked to see how bad what what that's where the nine line comes in see see what his priority was and they said bypass us and take him down to the bsa which was down a little bit uh more south to the the brigade aid station um which have a little bit more assets, but literally, if he can make it there alive, get him there because we've we got way too much going on. So when we when they, these guys were these three were were called um, as being that uh, that they had died, we had to get get them out of there. Like this is the aid station, so we have to get them out of the aid station. And, you know, the plan and whatever we're going to do with them is coming. But this aid station, the floor has got to be mopped. Everything's got to be restocked with in the quickest amount of time as possible because at any second we could have something worse right back in here um, because of the way the night was going. So what what a lot of people don't know is when guys are in that situation and they pass, as medics, we we literally clean every inch of their body soap and water every wound is bandaged just like they're still alive i mean it's everything is is done uh like they're gonna when we're done they're gonna get up and walk walk back outside um and then we they're put into the body bag and we go through their um all their personal effects we pull all the dog tags all the anything like that wallet all that stuff is put in a ziploc bag, um, all their their uh, biohazard stuff, anything uniform, all that, so whether it's got blood on it or not, all that's put into a big heavy duty trash bag, and then the uh, personal effects are put in on top of that, and then it's it's tied down, and that is now the body, and that is all one. They, they everywhere they go, they go together, but a lot of people, th- that was something that. I not enjoy telling people but it's there's something that a lot that really nobody knows that that's that we go to that length to for out of respect and you know never cut corners in fact we probably treat them a little nicer than we do some of the wounded guys just so we can get the wounded guys out of there quicker and get them get them back in the fight because that's our job is to preserve the fighting force so I, I remember I, I, this is the first moment I had any personal uh, emotion or feeling or anything, any connection with, the, with reality, hit me, kind of come back, I kind of come back into myself at that moment. Before that I was almost robotic, you know, the, the hour prior, but they had, we had brought three in there, but two of them we worked on on the litters. One we had on the litter, but he was not on litter stands, he was on the ground and uh, that happened to be specialist Richard Ariaga, And I remember, and there was no reason particular that I went to him. It's because my best friend on earth, Lobi Moran, was at his feet starting, and the other guy, other two guys already had two guys on them doing what they were doing. So that's, the head of Ariaga was kind of the last spot available and i was not in a place where i was ready to just stop and catch my breath i was i was I, I wasn't ready to think about it yet so i got on my knees right at the head of the litter and uh he was taking you know taking his boots off and all this stuff so i just started going to work i put my hand in his back pocket and I get, dog tags were hooked on his belt loop or whatever pulls dog tags out i pull those um he had a in his cargo pocket he had a Ziploc bag that had like the um smart book you know just the stuff you're supposed to have a little bitty things and i remember seeing a picture of a baby and man you talking about the reality crash at that time of my life i was 24 or something i didn't have kids i had no connection to anybody to to back here at all and i was on purpose um, not that I didn't think I was gonna make it back. I just knew that would have made, my, that was gonna make my, my life a lot easier to not have to worry about what was going on at home. So I didn't have any kids. I didn't have a wife, a girlfriend, none of that. But still, the, even now as a, now a dad of three girls, the feeling that I got in that moment when I looked at that, that baby's picture was the feeling I feel now as a father. It's kind, it's weird. that. I should have not known that feeling then um, and I didn't I didn't know what I was feeling I just remember how this awful sadness coming over me it went away quick but it, it just hit me and I don't even think I really knew why I was so sad except for the obvious this is a baby and then clearly I knew hold on you know I did but I something made me stick my hand in there I opened it up and I, I pulled it out and looked at the back of it and it had the date and it was months prior to that we had been there. So this is his newborn baby that he has never seen before. <clears throat> mm. <clears throat> Man, you talking about? It was just one of those things. I didn't cry. I didn't get emotional. I just felt them. I felt it for a, a, a brief period, and I, I just wouldn't allow myself to go into the rabbit hole of my God, what. His family, I'm right here right now. His family has no clue. This little baby girl for the rest of her life is, I mean, I couldn't, I, I didn't consciously think I can't let myself go down that hole. I just didn't. You know, I, I, I put it back in the bag. I wrapped it back and I put it back up and I, I continued my mission. Um, and then that's when I pulled his dog tags out and I saw his wedding ring was on his dog tags, which confirmed it. You know that just kind of that was the last puzzle piece that like yep yeah, um like this is a family you know it's not just that's not an illegitimate child you know something i could talk myself into believing so i didn't feel so horrible you know this is this is a this is a possibly a husband and a father and wow and now i'm fixing i'm putting i'm zipping him up in a bag and he And I didn't know how old he was, but I knew he looked 19 or 20 and you know, like it wasn't long before that he was in high school. (coughs) So when we got him done, it's a pretty quick thing. That's when they were making the decision. They're like, okay, we got this big camo net out back. We're gonna put them three out back under the camo net on the, on this little, it's a little uh, concrete pad and it's surrounded by about five foot high of uh, um, sandbags, just a sandbag wall, an uh, ale. And then the, it's pretty pretty sharp, little, uh, little covering. So we're gonna put them out there. We're gonna get the other dudes, other wounded guys in vehicles, taking them to the next level of care, which is down to the, to the brigade to get them out of there they needed to be gone anyway they were all they all needed to go to higher echelons so it kind of worked out that way um, that we they were by the time we were getting ready to move the, the bodies out there they were gone so I remember standing up and I was like hey Lovie um, I didn't, they didn't make the decision yet. I just heard platoon sergeant talking about it. It's like, hey, we're putting them out here. I was like, look, I'm going to run in here. I've got one uniform, I had two uniforms. I was like, I'm up going to throw on this other uniform real quick. And if first sergeant's out there, or somebody's making a guard roster or whatever they're doing, just make sure that I'm on it first. Um, don't just tell them I said so. Just keep them talking long enough until I get there. You know, I knew it wasn't gonna be long. So he was like, "All right." So I run in there, threw a, another uniform on really quick, and uh, put my boots back on, and I went out there. And they tried to. I told him, I said, "Look, I'm gonna stand stand guard out here um, on the bodies because they first was out there trying to, you know, get trying to find S ones two guys, you know, waking guys up to do a, a thirty minute shift uh, guard roster because the we knew that mortuary affairs either we were going to take them or they whether they were coming it wasn't going to be until for the next six or eight hours because of how bad things were in the sector right then they weren't going anywhere so they were tra- i walked out there and i said look starting i think at this point it was like three i said start the guard roster at about at like five or six and because i need to be out here right now and first time i was like lloyd you don't need you a medic would never be on a guard roster to stand guard over the fallen, especially the medic that just worked on them. That's not how this works, you know, and he was exactly right. He was trying logically telling me this is one of those things psychologically is not, not the best idea. But I was trying to tell him that for me, that is the best idea. Um, The worst place for me is to go in there and try to lay down and get some sleep or whatever right now. So, and for whatever reason, they took that answer. I don't know if it's the way I said it or the, the how I whatever it was, um, they knew my purpose and, and the reason I needed that. And that's what happened. I stood there and it was dark, but man, you talking about a, a period in time that ended up lasting hours, but I literally stood there. Now at first I stood there facing them I still could barely see them, it Was so damn dark, especially with that camo cover. And we're literally a hundred foot above the Tigris River. It is a straight drop off. The most un, unsettling thing you could ever be stand, you could get on, oh my God, it'll make you sick to your stomach. I'll show you some pictures. Um, that's why we had the that, that um, wall of sandbags up. So as I'm standing there, I could barely, uh, make them out there's a little light above the aid station door that i kind of could get a, a a glow from to see where the flags were and as my eyes got uh used to the that dark i could make them out and i literally stood there and had a conversation with these three dudes in my head for hours and it was not sad it was not it was almost like we're sitting here talking you know it wasn't out loud it was just it was it was weird not weird in a bad way just i don't i don't know what what led me down that path I, it's it's crazy to think about how you work yourself through moments um which of those moments we can look back on when we're having hard times and say remember how you did it then you, you didn't know it you, you made it through that with without putting too much thought into it you're putting all this thought into it now and you're making the wrong decisions so just trust yourself trust the decisions you make but that comes from making right decisions consciously making right decisions that's that's what leads you to making unconscious right decisions um so uh, literally for for hours about one hour had passed I, i absolutely have no clue how how long it was but for argument's sake or for conversation's sake we'll say an hour i stood there and I was very, I remember thinking at first, I was very surprised. I knew my dudes had kept the, the reporters away. We had, a, we had a certain deal with them at, at, by that point that if you, st- if you come around this back way to this back door, of this aid station, we will shoot your ass. Like you might as well just consider this enemy territory. You have access to us through, you know, the platoons aren't set it up for them. You come through here, we will allow you to do what we want you to do. Um, Whatever you do out there is your own thing, but on where we are, so I wasn't that surprised that they didn't try to come around the back way. But in that moment, I, I don't, I never, I thought that one time when I remember walking out and was like, damn, there's nobody out here. They already got the casualties out. I was expecting to walk out to a lot of reporters and camera dudes and they weren't there. But that was my last thought. When I went over there and, and started pulling guard, I never ex- expected to see or hear any of them at that point because they would have had to come through through the gauntlet and you know somebody would have got them. So it was never a thought in my mind. Out of nowhere, dude, the, the sky lit up and I could hear off in the distance, man, there was so much shit going on. Yes, I was trace around. They even had uh, some um, Air Force bombers come in and drop a couple 500-pound bombs, like yeah. that. I could eat from where I was. I could sit. I could watch it. But I mean, it was crazy what was the shit that was going on. So when this this sky, I'm looking this way. There's a camp. It's all black. It's almost like I'm in a cave, looking at the bodies. The sky gets so bright behind me. That white on the flag is like almost bright, hurting my eyes. Bright, the sky was so so lit up behind me, and all I remember thinking was, "That's what it's like to to die," <laughs> because you just that whatever just lit the sky up that bright was a direct hit somewhere. I just haven't heard it yet. Like, right. am I even standing here? Like, like, it was that that was what was my brain was trying to register to me at that time. Like you're you're fixing to feel the wrath of god whatever just in an end this you know this was an instantaneous thought and then back to reality all right now it's dark again and i turn around and i hear some jackass four of these camera dudes and and they were i don't they were associated press whoever they were but they're contracted dudes from from you know Wherever, whatever country they're from, had come out of the front of the building, walked all the way around, literally had to crawl to get behind so I couldn't see them above the sandbags. Then they had about a one foot, like a ledge between the sandbags and a hundred and something foot cliff that leads right down to the Tigers River that they had to, that they made their way down, however they did it, to get behind me. And I, I guess somebody said one, two, three, and they popped up and all of them took pictures at the same time. And so that's what I saw was the flash from all these expensive uh, cameras that, and you talk, I just about lost my damn Had had the situation not played out the way it did, I probably would have went after them or something like I, it, had I had enough time to think about what I wanted to do to them, I probably would have killed them. Had I I didn't have a weapon, thank God. I was not there. You know, it was laying against the wall on the ground. Um, I just, I was also trying to process what just happened. Why would they do that? What the hell? Pictures, Jesus, I thought I was dead. You're lucky I didn't have a weapon or you would be dead. Guaranteed. Before I even thought about what I did, I'd have shot you. Well, just as I make a decision whether to go after him, of course, then I remember I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving from where I'm standing of course but but before I had the time to make that decision to not go after him this this guy that I'd become friends with he's a Reuters um, journalist and he'd been all over war correspondent guy Uh, he was a British SAS guy for a short time he had walked out the back door and he's almost put his hand up like I know this is what you want to do, but just stay right there. Like I'll handle them. It's kind of, he didn't, he, I, he might've said it, but it it just, he kind of showed up at the perfect time. Like I was happy because somebody else saw it because I was going to fix, what just happened was never going to happen again. Um, so I was happy he saw it. Cause then I could be like, Hey, when I go in there and tell these, the command about this, you can come in there with me and tell tell him what you saw. That's where my mind was. <clears throat> but he said i'll go handle he was gone for maybe i don't know 10 15 minutes again and i'm back in my spot back on my conversation with with these guys and then he comes back out there and he's like hey lloyd man in his thick british actually his british accent was not that thick but it was um distinguished it was almost like he was like royalty i remember things like you just don't sound like a normal british dude like you said something about you, man. He was—he was—he looked like an SAS guy would look, though, like you would think one would look. <laughs> Big old Sound hands, like real tall, kind of money. slender. What's that? Sound like a Brit with money. Yeah, he—he might have been, but he—he um, he comes back at and He's like, Lloyd, man, I just want to apologize to you for those guys. Well, at that moment, of course, when I did that, I had been facing him. I turned around, and now I'm facing out. Um, And he walks out and I I talked to him. I said, it's not the fact that I was not mad that they took the picture. It was how they did it. The whole thing, what I've been through tonight, that was not a situation to put me in. Mm -hmm. Um, If they would have come up and asked me, I probably would have let them take a picture. And that's what put that thought in my head. I said, hell, this is a part of what we do that nobody ever sees. Nobody knows that when these guys die until the from the moment they're wounded until the, the moment they're put in a ground. Back in, the, they are never alone, ever, ever. Not one second of one minute of one day are they by themselves. Um, even in this time, when there's nothing to do but for them to sit there, we're with them. I said, this is something I would think the American public needs to see. Um, it, to to if nothing else, make us more human and, and shine a, a different light on what we do. You know, we're not we're, all, we're not just killing machines over here. We have, we serve other purposes um, and we take a lot of pride in that. So uh, it led to him, him coming out there. He took a few pictures. I told him, you're welcome to do whatever you want with them, whatever. Turn, and I'm gonna try to speed this up, this part of it up. He, uh, I was thinking that was gonna be on, whatever he was like i can make a lot of money with this picture it turns out he didn't do it he, he brought me the jump drive i don't know a day or two later with all the the images that he took that night he's like i can't do it he's like i know why i don't know why you're right i you get you know he i let him do it it was nothing i didn't feel bad about any of it um but it something was you know i didn't argue with him he just he was like i want you to take the jump drive you have all the pictures um i just if you see him anywhere you know you, you won't you know it's it's one from that they took that you know that it whatever they were able to get from the back of you so i really respected that even though i kind of wish he would have taken it and, and uh found a, a news network whatever to to put it out there but um he didn't he gave, gave them to me so i had that that picture of me standing guard with all with. A semi it wasn't a clean uniform it was my only other uniform that wasn't like brown with blood by that soaked in blood um but i had blood on my boots and when i still look when i look at that picture that's for some reason that catches my eye first you know when you get blood on your boots then you get dirt on it it makes that spot even darker and the dirt sticks to it and that's kind of how it was um so the next morning we t- we Uh, I ended up staying out there the whole time. I don't know if any, I think one other guy might have come out at some point for a little bit, but I um, was out there when Mortuary Affairs pulled up and then they took them. And that, I, I say that's the last I thought about them for conversation's sake. Of course, that's not the last time I ever thought about the incident or whatever, but all in all, that, that incident for me was over because I had, I had, you know, what's ahead of me is what's ahead of me. And that's what I have to think about now. And that's what made me thinking like that is what made that my actions and all that possible that night. So I was not gonna start doing things differently. You know, I'm not gonna start thinking about something too much. And so I just went back into that robotic phase and and back out on the streets. and then, which, and then, you know, a short time later, it was uh, Uday and Kuse and then it was Saddam and then all this, you know, the, so it, it did not leave my mind and, but it did, you know, I, lots more stuff would, would happen. Um, so now I'm gonna take it from there. This, that deployment ends and then my career continues on, I got a I I gotta, I gotta far more training and experience out of that uh, many, 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 many months of a deployment than I could. I mean, any, most people get in a lifetime medically. I mean, trauma surgeons don't get that much experience in 10 careers. So um, a lot of things come out of that deployment for me to better myself, a lot of leadership stuff that I would continue carrying and trying to teach my dudes the rest of my career. So We'll fast forward from that. Did y'all, y'all want to ask, because I, I don't want to speed it up too much, but I do want to get to the, I know there's there's still more to go. And I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get too long winded on it.
2: Well, no, I just, I think that there's a couple points to just kind of talk about here, which is, um, you know, putting some light on things that a lot of people don't know that we do. Everyone always thinks it's something out of some, movie that you see and it's always go 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 and and you know like you said we're like some kind of killing machine um i think there's something to be said for the backside of of combat uh being in a firefight which is um honoring our fallen and what uh, better
1: way to what better way to help start healing yourself then the, and I think that's where my mind was. I just didn't know that. I didn't consciously know that, that I was trying to help myself down the road, deal with what I just went through. Because I had no way to know what, psychologically, I had no way to know what I had just went through. Because I had not, you know, I, it, would, it would be a while before this, the effects of that night come back to get me, so to speak. So I I think that was where my mind was. And it's crazy how it worked because, you know, it's not because I'm special. You know, I just, something told me standing, I I didn't, what did it was that feeling of, I cannot leave them. I don't physically, I don't think I can walk away from them and be okay. And, and I, but translated, I think that was my, my brain's way of telling me, doing this is going to start the healing process for you already with, you know, without you even knowing that. And, and, that, that's my philosophical way of looking at it. I could be told who knows if I'm wrong. I know that makes sense to me. Um, so that, that that's, that's how I've dealt with all of it. I mean, it, 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 it worked out horribly bad for those three guys. Um, but there is another side, like you're saying, of that that thing where it worked out good for the way it happened. Other than that, it worked out good for me to be able to continue on and to continue um, treating wounded dudes on a battlefield. So, well, I, there's there's something
2: to be said as well for, you know, I heard someone tell me one time. I, I you know, I don't know them but I know them.
1: Yeah. Never met these guys in my life. That's exactly right. Um, And you, and, and in that moment,
2: you know, you, you, you didn't meet these guys and then now you know them. And, and in that moment, here you are now knowing them and standing guard over them as they're making that transition to mortuary affairs. Uh, Making sure that they're not, there's not one moment that they're alone um, I'm sure that there's conversation that happened there that probably could fill encyclopedias. <laughs> yeah. um, but I just, you know, it, in my opinion, it is a shame that um, you know the 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 press that snuck around the backside and all try to take these sneaky pictures. Um, I do wish that uh, the the british uh reporter uh was able to uh get those pictures out as well because i think that um and what 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 some people may think is you know they're taking pictures of, of fallen uh soldiers like you said they're they're under they're, they're properly placed under a flag you're standing at a, at a position of attention or parade rest you know standing guard over them and well that
1: yes that's what i took personal was that I don't think in their minds they wanted to take a picture of me standing guard. They wanted pictures of dead bodies. Yeah. That you know what I mean? If if they would have asked me and I could have told them what I was doing, I would have felt okay with them taking the pictures. But I was mad, I think, because they were taking the pictures of the wrong thing. Yeah, in, in my mind, you know, because I and, I, and the British reporter, he was taking picture exactly. of me of honoring our fallen
2: exactly right and the ceremonial duties of us taking care of those who just recently
1: exactly right like i said he come out there with his camera but he come out the door to approach me he might have been coming he didn't tell me this he might have been coming out there for that reason to take that picture i don't know that but there was a reason he was coming out there but he was going to do it the right way because you know that, that that's what it was it was it was that i i it offended me that they that they were trying to get pictures of three u s soldiers that had been killed. that's what it was it, it was not the the bigger picture that that really needed that that was the the real story of that moment
2: well i mean that but that goes to show you the integrity of the United States military is that while others well others have no integrity um here we are. Here in you are. Here, here, here you are performing your duty for them even in their passing. So as as we so so here we are now, now you've you've done several deployments.
1: Yeah, now now um actually but but where I will pick it up now uh, way fast forward because nothing else really plays into the rest of the story um none of my career plays into it I, the next this that was 2000 september 2003 well all the way to to the mid 2010 by this point i'm just literally getting in the warrior transition unit after being hurt in afghanistan six six or seven weeks in lawn stool in the hospital all that process and then coming back and um i'm in the warrior transition unit now and so seven years have went by and um they there was a a thing the we start i say we started it they had the the Hula program the healing outside of a hospital thing a, a buddy of mine ronnie Goulian, started that the whole program because all these people were calling the wtu especially from nashville you know there's all there's tennessee titans you know there's so much stuff going on the predators with tickets saying, hey, you got the the warriors there that have been wounded or what? Because that's what the unit was oh, started yeah. for combat wounded guys, you know. But yeah. of course, it didn't turn out that way. But regardless, they just were calling the unit to say, hey, we got these tickets. Come and get them and you can whatever, you know, so they're getting these phone calls. And then, hey, I got a hunting trip. I want to get these people that are answering the phones have no clue. Yeah, OK, we'll tell somebody. Well, these people are never getting calls back and these are events that people are offering to guys that could change their lives. Yeah. So Bonnie Gullion said, Hey, we're going to make a little area with a phone. If we have to make go a, a day room in the barracks or something, we're going to have a phone with a number that they can transfer these calls to. And I'm going to start writing them down and we're going to start getting dudes on these trips. And that's nice. how it started. Unbelievable. So, and I ended up, I, got went straight to him and started helping him the minute I got in the WTU to give me something to do. And very shortly after that, he told me he said, "Hey, there's a big event coming up in Texas." Um it's a big fishing trip. He he explained it to me how how big it was even though it had only been going on a short time. It's he said it's an organization called Warriors Weekend. They they bring hundreds of of wounded guys to Texas for 3 or 4 days and they treat you like royalty and you go on a fishing trip and it's just the most unbelievable time I went last year, you've got to go, you know, you're a saltwater fisherman, blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, Gullion, you have lost your mind. That is the last place on earth is where I want to be standing in the middle of the Houston airport. And then in the middle of hundreds of people all around me, you know, that just the thought of that right now makes me want to pass out. Yeah. Um, I didn't tell him that. I was just like, all right, yeah, okay. I will make sure to avoid you so I don't have to tell you no again. Um, and that's what I thought about it. It was a week away. And he brought every day, every day brought it up, brought it up. And I never said no, but I definitely made it kind of clear that I have no interest in going. And then he hit me one day with, he, kn- he knew what I was doing. He knew I was going to try to get out of it. But he said, oh, look, you were talking about fishing all the time, being from the Gulf and South Alabama and all this stuff. He's like, what, I would assume you would want to go to Texas and show them dudes that everything ain't bigger in Texas. That gives you some – you can go over there and catch some fish and be like, I catch – what the hell I thought you had. But, you know, it, this is bragging rights. Whether it is or it ain't, just go over there to talk some shit to a Texan. And that's exactly how he kind of sold it to me. And I was like – the light bulb went off. I was like – Ronnie go in you need to write a book my friend because you were exactly (laughs) right do I see let me where's the paperwork let's go because like by this time it's like the flight leaves tomorrow we gotta get we gotta we gotta do this so what it really was was him selling it to me that way in my mind I knew I could focus on that to get me through the uncomfortable stuff because it wasn't a PTSD thing I was worried about it was just My biggest fear, what I had a biggest at that time, the thing what made me the most uncomfortable was was hearing "thank you for your service." Well, I told you that the it something that is probably the most common thing that happens to us as veterans. That's what you hear. But for some reason, when when it was said to me, it's not. I didn't get mad or anything, and I was courteous and kind and said thank you or whatever back. But it, it. Gave me the worst feeling on the inside, and then I almost felt bad for feeling that way. And it was a lot of it was because of the way my mind works, I really didn't know how I should reply. Um, I thought just saying thank you was almost kind of selling, kind of cutting them short, um, and not appreciating what they're saying enough. But whatever it was, it it just was unsafe, and I knew I would hear that a lot, and that's I would run from it the whole time, so um. You know, in my, in my mind, somebody saying, thank you for your service as a medic that had lost a lot of buddies. You're, you know, you're almost telling me thank you for not saving lives or, you know what I mean? Like
2: every,
1: every positive thing that has ever come from in, during my career, every award, every, all the medals, all, any accommodation, mm-hmm. all that stuff is tied to something horribly awful. So it's very hard for me to look at any award. Now I have come to, I've learned to to come to the point where I can, but but it was a struggle. I had to get through that, something I had to get through was to put a, learn how to appreciate that that award and to appreciate and respect being awarded that medal even though it it is being given for, you know, the end result being somebody's life being lost. Um, because it's not for that, of course, but, you know, that's the easy thing to tie it to. And that's where my brain went. So um, the whole fishing idea gave me something to take my mind off of that. And it worked. Yeah. I got there. Um, we get to uh, Houston, get on these buses. We bust down to Victoria, Texas, and Warriors Weekend, man. This organization is unbelievable. I mean, we could do ep- episodes of, of how much these people do to help guys like us, man um and and the outdoors on its own for a guy that just you know work every day is his only stress for somebody like that uh, to the to the extreme um paranoid schizophrenic you know the outdoors can help people in so many ways just the peace and the quiet um and and they the warriors weekend guys ron kosh and the guy that started it that's what he saw that he knew the ability of of putting somebody on a water and putting a fishing pole in his hand and doing something for long enough to take your mind off of what you're saying long enough so you'll just conversate with people and not overthink the thing the moment you're in um so and, and a lot of them never fished in their life seeing dudes catch i mean it's unbelievable so yeah. we, get, we we make it down, we go to Victoria, Texas. They got a huge church with thousands of people. And um, we walk into the church, somebody's speaking to us, they have a, a, a one flag, a full-size flag too, in the ground, this field of honor for um, every casualty. It, it's just an unbelievable sight. It would take me years to actually come to understand how to appreciate. Um, it, I was so... Uh, out of my league with <laughs> being able to uh, tell people, thank you for that. I did, I was, man, I was so confused on what my emotions were, but it was awesome. It was nothing was negative. So we get into church and then they talk to us, kind of tell us what to prepare for for the next couple of days. Then we go outside and we sit under this tent staring, looking at all these flags just long enough for them to say, Hey, uh, this is the field of honor. And then they they um, said we're gonna list off an, a list of names of the local um, guys that have been killed, and there was three names. Now I did, at the time I didn't know what local meant. I, I knew I was in Victoria, Texas, and I, I kind of knew how big that area was, but you know I, I didn't know the you know that geographically I didn't know what local meant. But uh, so it was three guys, and um, Ronnie Goulian's next to me. And I was saying something to him, and I heard Ariaga. And, man, seven years has gone by. I hear this name. And over those seven years, I, that night come back to me very vividly. For some reason, uh, maybe because of seeing the picture or, or whatever, I had a connection with this dude. And But it was not overwhelming. It was nothing that um, – negatively impacted me in any way um it it was it it was kind of weird like do you think i didn't know i didn't know know how affected i didn't know how much i had been holding on to this guy's memory until i heard that name ariaga you know ariaga i remember literally thinking that okay richard ariaga could be like john smith yeah you know what I mean they're they're Hispanic so th- you know that and literally that's probably what it was going to end up being and but I asked G and I was like, hey what name what name did he just call because you know my like I almost swallow my tongue my I, my chill bumps are when I hear it and I'm trying to verify confirm or deny what name I just heard because I didn't yep. hear the first name anyway so I was like what do you-? he was like, I don't know um our Arriaga. okay let's go. We got to get back on the bus because, you know, it's time to go to the next station. Um, But that was it. And, but that moment did hit me and made me realize how much I had held on to his memory, just hearing a a portion of his last name that I thought, you know, it reminded me of him and it surprised me. It, It, I didn't know how to, had a brash it out at that time. But it, I, I do remember actually consciously thinking, wow, I very I would have never thought that would have affected me in the moment as much as it did. Yeah. So we get back on the buses and now we're, we're off and we're going down to this tent, like the ones that the Dallas Cowboys do their indoor, their uh, practice field on. So it's that big. Indoor like GP facility. Yeah. Like a GP extra, extra large, you know, it's um, this huge tent and it's full of tape, it'll hold hundreds of people. And they've got more food and barbecue. They've got volunteers that have been out there for days cooking. Just something that if you don't see it, you almost don't, you you would think somebody was exaggerating the lengths that they went to, to to make, to give us the weekend of our lives. A sandcastle that, dude, wait till you see the pictures of the sandcastle, 20 foot tall by hand, look, it's the uh, da Vinci work of art. It's mind blowing the thing. So I'm taking all this stuff in and I, and I walk in this, uh, this big tent and, uh, I'm trying to find Ron. I remember for some reason I was trying to find my buddy, Ronnie, see where they were sitting getting food. And I looked all the way across this big tent and hanging from the, from the rafter or whatever it was, was this 20 foot banner of Richard Ariaga, And it was my Richard Ariaga. It was without a doubt. The crazy thing was the picture that I'm looking at, i never saw him like that. The, the, ver- the, the, the picture in my mind, it, it was almost a happy feeling because now I had something new. I had a good, yeah. a, a good, um, mental mental picture of, of Richard from from here forth um, but I, I remember standing there and, and physically I couldn't make a word come out of my mouth and I didn't know to be so I just remember thinking this is a big deal this is a big deal um, most guys go back and search out family members of their buddies that were lost so they can because they think they they can give them some peaceful words or whatever, and they search for them, and sometimes they they don't ever find them, or or whatever. And here I am, it just by chance on a trip in South Texas, hundreds and hundreds of miles from from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and I'm in his hometown. Give me a, where they're honoring him on the weekend. And it's Memorial Day, it's, the, it's around Memorial Day, so the picture of me standing guard over his body is my Facebook, is literally the picture on my Facebook profile at that moment. None of that would come to me at that time. It took me a while to, to, for all this to settle in, but I, my brain took the little bits it needed to work itself through that moment. I just remember thinking, you need to go tell Ron this. Um, he's the, the founder and the guy that started Warriors Weekend because I knew this would be, in my mind, I always look for something to work on or a way to make the spotlight not just on me because this was a great, could be a great moment for me. It could be the most scary, worst moment in my life too for all I know. I don't know, but I, I'm assuming the, the way this looks right now it just because of the healing I got from looking at that picture of Richard Ariaga that I'd never seen, just that right there is enough that this, this organization that he started has just literally changed somebody's life being me. If nothing else past mm-hmm. that moment happened, right, seeing that picture of Richard hanging there, yeah. I never saw if saw that, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I wanted him to know that I wanted him to know I, For all I knew, this is something that happens. You know, I didn't know that it didn't happen. I didn't know that it was random or rare or if it happened three times a week. I didn't know, but I was gonna tell him in my mind, this seems like something that probably don't happen every day. So I wanted you to know what's going on. And you could just tell a look on his face. He was like, what are you, he didn't, he was kind of blown away too. And then he said, we've invited Barbara to this event every year since we've started it and she's never been able to come. Which told me she still has not dealt, she, she can't even, she is still not to a point in her life from losing her son in Iraq that she she can't even get herself to an event that's honoring his memory and honoring her as a gold star mother. Every possible great thing that she deserves out of this life, they offer to her and she, she can't even get herself to a a place where she's able to take that yeah that broke my damn heart it it broke i didn't know if that was true like i said that's what come over me at the time that's that's the first thought that i got uh which would turn out to be true um so i I walk up to the banner i don't know i'm taking every step i take it from this moment forward um kind of expecting something else to happen but i didn't really know what i mean um i was just had already told myself just roll with it and take take it as it comes man um but because somebody else is in charge right now that's the way i, I was kind of playing the the, the game somebody else <laughs> is is has got the con the controller and you just you need to go where, where they put you so um i wanted to walk up and see this big old banner and read the things that said below it and then pay respects to the other two that were hanging on the, the the other sides of the other two guys. And then I heard some people behind me talking and that, that would, you know, that kind of played itself out. That would, that would wind up being his, his mom's sister and her husband who I would meet and tell him who I was, which was a mental process. Of course, all these things were such hard things for me to do in in the moment it's almost kind of hard to just put them in a conversation. Like I just went, like it just was something I just did. I just went up and started talking to them. There was so much going on up here before I turned around and made myself approach them, you know, and it was almost torture, but it was, it was a torture that I knew I needed and that I knew there was nothing negative that could come out of it. Um, So I told them who I was and of course, the tears started flowing and I was standing there hugging a Hispanic lady and man, I'd never met for the next 15 minutes, um, pouring tears like a, like a baby. And, um, she said, I'm going to, that that's when she said it out of her mouth. She said, "Barbara's never been able to come to this. So I'm her sister and I, we come in her place, the rest of the family. And she said, I'm going to tell her tonight that who you are and that you're here and see if she'll come tomorrow to the big dinner, to the big event the next day was the fishing tournament man the last thing on my mind was talking shit to a texan <laughs> you yep. know what i mean like all yep. i think yep. out was what a mother what a mother that's going to meet the the not just a buddy of but the medic that was with her son and his man the questions i was beating myself up to figure out how to answer and make so many damn things went through my head for the next 12 to 16 hours um, that I almost had to force myself to take a step back and calm down because I was making it a lot worse in my head than than I needed to make it. Because I said just, uh, what I ended up doing was just saying, look, this is, there's, you're not gonna lie to her, you just, there, there'll be things that you don't say, but there's plenty of things you can say. So just think about what you will say and be able to say that to anything she says, any, any question she has, be able to take those, those little thoughts that you have and spin it to answer that question. Don't pick this pile, take from this and, and use those, those words and those comments for everything and everything will be okay. And and it, that's, what, that's what I did, but it was still, I was not, I was a nervous damn wreck. Um, of course. Just, yeah, you know, all I could think about was this, This I watched my mom to this day cry on my sister's birthday. My sister was killed in the car. We were in a car wreck when I was seven. She was sitting in my lap and she was killed and she was two. That was in 1984. To this day, 2020 and April 14th, my mom cries because of the loss of my sister. And that's three times as long is what Barbara was facing. So that's what, at this point, I'm working on things that I do know about. You know, I I don't know her pain, but I'm um, associated with it because I watched my mother deal with it. So um, I, I knew that I had a, a big role to play. And but I wasn't going to overdo it. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to um, sit and and, and uh, say all these, these miraculous things. I just wanted to be honest with her. And I figure if you just, just, if you, if you always tell the truth, then your story will always be the same. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just work it that way. And uh, so the next day comes and man, I could have, this is normally where it hit, where it really gets me. So I'm just going to take a deep breath before I start bawling and hopefully I'll be able to get through it. I would have, I, I could have never been able to think or would have never had the thought to put, there was never a way for me to put myself in her position to know what she was thinking. Just like I was thinking, she's thinking of all the questions to ask me. You know, I could have never thought there's going to be answers she don't want. So she's not going to ask that. You know what I mean? That That's not where my mind was. But the same thing I was going through, she was going through the same thing in a different way all the way leading up to that moment. Um, and I have to say, she handled it a lot better than me because uh, she was able to talk. I wasn't. Um, she was more concerned. Who. <clears throat> i predicted this she was more concerned about me my well-being and not wanting uh not wanting to make me go back down a certain road that was uncomfortable for me so Uh, she did kind of did what i did and kind of had not prepared statements but just kind of this is how we're going to approach this situation. We have no idea how to approach, and she did it with a with grace and in in a way that. <clears throat> it, I don't know. It was it floored me, um, to know who I was standing in front of, to connect the lap that past seven years of my life to know that I was on the battlefield next to her son who I'd never met in his his last moment in life and all that, that happened that night. And now just by chance, I'm literally standing in front of his mother. And then who walks up? His daughter. And the crazy, ooh. The crazy thing was I knew exactly who it was right when she rocked up. I saw a picture of her when she was probably three months old that yeah. I pulled out of his pocket.
0: You're doing good, man.
1: And uh, Barbara said, I want to introduce you to her. Ooh. And <clears throat> that was right at the moment I was clearing my throat enough to say something. And <laughs> here she comes. And I was, oh. it hit me the things that were happening to me I it was so surreal that it was it literally in the moment it was unbelievable to me who I was, I could not this was in my mind I do not know this for a fact I don't but in my mind this was something that when if you tell people how this happened it's almost not believable because seven years any decision i made you know how many decisions i made good and bad in seven years any of those could have been different and i it would have not led me to be in that spot nine chances a hundred chances out of a hundred mostly you know my path over that time was almost guided in a way to lead me to that moment which would take the worst night of my life and and Completely, not erase it, but absolutely redraw it in my mind. Um, it, so it really it erased it. It just drew it. It redrew it on the canvas in a, in a different way, and I've, to, I've. I don't think I've ever felt a feeling like I felt at that time, um, and after that first 15 or 20 minutes the crazy thing was it was she took me into her family like the first 15 minutes was the hardest and then it was so easy and comfortable and i and she she looked at me she said i'll make you a deal every year that you come back i'll be here so that uh that that turned into our thing, and it, uh, we spent that that entire evening the next day together. None of the the family, all the family members that were there, and me included, nobody could grasp what what we were feeling in the moment. You know, this it, I still haven't uh, and and learning how to to appreciate it more and more every every time I think about the the story as a whole um it's easy to take parts of it and and think about it a certain way and get comfortable with it but when you when i take it as a and i actually think about that from point from start to finish it is so mind-blowing to me and uh even before you get into the life-changing part just just the way things worked out um the way they did over that seven years to lead to that moment it, it, He's from Ganada, Texas. There's like 500 dudes and that people that live in that town. It, it, you know, I could sit here for days and explain just how random this was. Yeah, it it, it, that it almost was shouldn't have happened. You know that there was so many ways that could that there was one way for it that to happen. Literally, over there was one way, and it was the exact way that it happened. Every every little from little, little thing to big thing, worked its way out in a manner to lead to that moment. And it, it completely changed my life and and in a lot of ways.
2: Um, I'm sure. not
1: saying that's what, you know, it didn't heal me, uh, but in a lot of ways it, it did. And it gave me a, a definitely a foundation and a, a light at the end of the tunnel um, for me to always, even to this day, for me to go back to, when I get to a bad spot and when I start thinking dude this is not possible no what's not possible is being on a, at a guy's side when he takes his last breath and then seven years later by chance meeting his mother that's not possible but it happened so what you're going through now you can sit down and figure it the hell out um, so the next the next day she said you were you're a consider yourself a member of my family. And I have no doubt that everybody's life and it will be changed from this. Um, it, we didn't know what question, how it was going to help us, what it was going to heal. It was just so evident that it was, this was it's, the word special. Don't, don't even describe it properly. Um, so the next year, of course, we met there, and that year uh, they were doing a, filming a documentary, and uh, I would in, they did a, a thing where I presented the medal that the award that I was presented for that my actions that night, and I present I gave it to her, and um, I've had a re, an unbelievable one of a kind relationship with that entire family ever since then. I go to that organization wars weekend. I, it I'm it i have a connection with Ron and and everybody they they do such good things for people and i do a lot with them uh, they bring me to trips and they always anytime i'm included the Ariaga family and Barbara all of them are included and it's almost like the, it's it's not me without them it's not the, it's just one of those things that has been um, it's so special there's that there's no possible way that that i should be somebody that gets to experience it when there there's ways for other people to to get not necessarily something that dramatic or that big but can little things in your life if you notice them and you make choices that that um you prepare yourself to make you can get to a point that has an effect that is just as great as what that that had on me um because it don't take something that big to change somebody's life one word can change somebody's life um based on the the emotional state they're in um it seems to be something that big and something that dramatic is what it would take for me (laughs) most people it wouldn't take that to get a point across but the good Lord, I guess thinks he's got to kind of go overboard for me to get it. So he put, you know, things like like that get put together, um, and and I don't know, man. That that's one of those stories that, and it's still, even as long as I've sat here and talked about it, I've there's certain things that I that I, I like to say about it that I've forgotten, but there's really no way I could ever, I could tell the story five times a day until the day I died. And I would never be able to, to get it right in my mind and explain it the way that it truly deserves to be explained because it literally is that special to me. Um, and the the family's that special to me, you know, anything that they've seen from these podcasts, Barbara, she's, I, she's, my biggest fan um my picture in that that bronze star with the v is on her her um mantle next to a picture of richard man that's ooh. that that is one of those things that that that's um it's a big deal and i take it very very seriously and i hold it i hold it very close to me um and she knows it i'm not afraid to tell her that uh that 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 whole situation it helped me a lot with being able just to, you know what, if you just forget about what people think and just share and express what you're feeling, and and it'll come across genuine and it'll be taken a lot better than you think. You know, you know nobody's making fun of you for crying. So I kind of that's kind of when I when I coined the whole, hey man, I make crying look cool. That's how I started to, literally, I mean, I'm not scared to cry. Who's going to tell me, oh, look at this big old, he's a gold medal, uh, combatives, boxer, everything, but he's a sissy because he's crying. They're not going to tell me that. I wish they would tell me that. So I feel okay crying. If in my mind, not that I'm special, but if somebody sees a grown man that, is not afraid to shed a tear in an emotional moment, maybe that'll kind of make them think, you know, that huh, that maybe it is okay. You know, maybe, maybe it's next time I get in I'll just, I'll let the tears flow and see, see how it makes me feel. Because it's a, it feels a lot better than trying to hold it back. Because then you start telling, you start questioning, why were you holding it back? And you just add stuff to the pile of shit to, to burden yourself with. Well, you know, man, I, you know,
2: listening to you talk about, especially the end of uh, of this whole journey. Miraculous. Journey. Yeah. Um, you know, you keep bringing insane. up. Yeah, which is absolutely insane. I mean, I think that this seems to you be. See, I
1: really never knew that because I have never told anybody the whole story. So I, I think I was worried that somebody was going to say, well, you know, that happened to me too. You know what i mean like i didn't necessarily think that would happen but there's a chance because i don't know if that's something that is is it really is mind-blowing because i was worried that if i realized it wasn't as mind-blowing and miraculous as i thought that it would take away from it in some way not consciously but i think that's what my what i was worried about so that that's why, the, even though it was such an unbelievable story to tell, and it needs to be told, and the picture should be all the way down to the it. That, that picture happened to be my Facebook profile picture. You, you know, it all those little bitty things that fell into place to make it a big moment. I didn't want anything to take away from that. So I only the only people that I would ever talk about it with were the ones that I already knew about. It. You know, and. So, and it's kind of sad that that it's been so many years have gone by and and it's taken me this long to talk talk about it. But um, I don't know, man, it's it's uh, it's definitely a good feeling. And I still I'm actually happy that even to this day that happened 10 years ago when I met her. I've known her 10 years and I still cannot get through talking about it without crying. I appreciate that. You know, it still means that much to me. It's not something that I just kind of have gotten used to telling, you know, like (laughs) something I've memorized.